Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn about our work to make Christ known to all the nations, go to traincpe.org. Or to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now to God's Word for today. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. We all know individuals who have risen out of awfully dysfunctional homes to make a life for themselves that honors God and blesses others. But for every one of those stories, there are 10 of those who got stuck in the cycle of sin they learned in their own homes. In our passage, this reality is confirmed in the account when one wicked king leaves the kingdom to another wicked son. This is a cautionary story, and we must not forget it. But as we listen, please remember, God breaks cycles, and when we're broken before him, he can break in. It's an exercise in God's grace that some of us don't turn out as our parents, and yet it's an exercise in God's grace that some of us do. For myself, I'm glad to be identified with any characteristic of my dad. Various family members have pointed out that I have an unoppressive ability to invent new timing for old songs. Not more than once, I have individuals who might be playing the piano that I'm related to at different times, or the organ at different times, or both at different times, who will point out to me that somehow I invented a whole different way and a whole different timing and a whole different melody for the song that we were singing, and they were challenged in trying to follow along with me, and my dad did the exact same thing. And so to the extent that my dad did it, I kind of like receiving the input. It doesn't really bother me. The, the other members of my family have pointed out that when I hold conversations on the phone that my attention seems to drift and they can tell that I'm not listening whatsoever. And I feel no sting in their critique because my father did the exact same thing. Only because in most things my father was a giant in my eyes of character and of ability and I always wanted to be just like him. So it's, it's not an insult to me. But I am also aware that this is not the case with many other individuals. That for good reason, they don't want to be like their fathers or like their parents. But here's the point. For good or for ill, the pattern of life that our parents give us is a pattern that our children often follow in. They follow in our footsteps. This is why the second commandment of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 tells us that there's a fallout for the sin of idolatry in the lives of the children. It says there that God visits to the third and fourth generation the sin or the judgment or the iniquity upon the sons of the fathers who commit these sins of idolatry. And this is not because it's connected to them genetically. It's not because there's some kind of family spirit that goes from generation to generation but it's simply because the father, by his example, inculcates into the life of his children a lifestyle and a pattern of living that goes on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, and it doesn't dissipate, it doesn't go away. And each generation that renews themselves in that pattern just continues to cast forward that life and that influence on the generations that follow. And so here it says it visits the sin of the fathers, but it could just as well say the mothers, because basically the life of the parent by way of example, by way of instruction, by way of inculcation, by spiritual influence, gets passed down to the children. 
And we're going to illustrate this now in the life of Jehoram. So first consider that Jehoram carries on in sin as did his parents Ahab and Jezebel. Our passage actually makes it quite clear that Jehoram did not carry out his sin just like his father or his mother did. He put away the image, we're told, of Baal that his father had raised up. But he only traded out one form of idolatry for another. He turned instead to a calf god that had been instituted in Israel by Jeroboam, who was the first king over the ten northern tribes of Israel. And Jeroboam had a little bit of a challenge. The center of worship of the Lord God of Israel was in Jerusalem, and that was located in the southern tribe of Judah. And he did not want the people of the northern tribes regularly turning to Jerusalem for their worship. He thought he would lose their loyalty to himself and to the kingdom that he was establishing. And so he had put up statues of oxen or calves in Dan, also in Bethel, in the northern part of Dan, the northernmost part of the ten tribes, and in the southernmost part of the ten tribes, he placed these, these calf idols. And he called upon the people to worship God, the Lord God, by way of these idols in this place. And what we read here is that Jehoram cast aside and puts away the Baal idol that his father Ahab had set up, but then he goes and he turns to worship the idol that had been introduced in the northern tribes by Jeroboam, and he worships the idol of the calf gods instead. It may be said that one of the surest ways of being like your father is to set out to not be like your father. When you use your father as a reference point of what not to be, you've only guaranteed that you won't be like him in degrees. He'll still be your pattern. Even negatively, he'll still be your pattern. And it's likely that Jehoram was, to some extent, unimpressed and unappreciative of the crassness of his father's worship. And so he wanted to distinguish himself from that crassness, and he wanted to do something that somehow aligned itself better instead of the worship that took place and Tyre and Sidon that was imported through his mother Jezebel. He wanted to go back and bring the people back to a form of worship that they could identify with a greater sense of their own national identity. And so he chooses instead to worship the calf that Jeroboam had set up. And he thinks that in a way this will be a more illuminated and more reformed expression of his spiritual life. By the way, when Jeroboam set up those calf gods... We're told that he said to the people of Israel in 1 Kings chapter 12, 28, Here are your gods, O Israel. Actually, it's a plural for God. It actually is, and it's most appropriately just read as, Here is your God, O Israel. Here's the God you're worship. Because in the Hebrew, when God is referred to, it, he's always referred to it in the plural of majesty. It's the exact same phrasing that was used by Aaron when the nation of Israel had crossed over the Red Sea out of bondage from Egypt, and Moses had gone up into the mount to receive the Ten Commandments, and during that time Aaron, down before the people, fashioned a calf god for the people to worship. And after he fashioned the calf god, Aaron said to him, Here is your God. And it's Elohim, it's the plural of gods. It could be read, Here is your gods, but there's just one little idol here. The idea is, here is the one who represents your majestic God who delivered you from the Egyptians. And Jeroboam knows the message that Aaron had proclaimed. And Jeroboam establishes his own calf gods. And Jeroboam establishes his own priesthood to oversee the worship 
of the Lord around these calf gods, and he cries out and says the exact same things. Here is your God, who, O Israel. This is where you're to worship him. Jehoram thought to some extent that he cleaned up from the vulgarity of his father's worship and the awfulness of his father's idolatry by falling and going down and worshiping for the calves that Jeroboam had set up. He won't worship what Ahab worshipped. He'll worship what Jeroboam has set up to worship. But in both cases, it was demonic. Actually, 2 Chronicles 11.15 says this of the calf worship that Jeroboam had set up. This might be confusing. I'm saying Jehoram, Jeroboam, and Ahab. Ahab is the father of Jehoram. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern tribes that established this calf worship that Jehoram followed after because he wouldn't follow after the worship of Baal that Ahab, his father, had been following after and worshiping. So let's go back to this. Here is what God says of the worship of Jeroboam, the calf worship that Jeroboam established. Jehoram thinks this seems more appealing. This is more in line with the worship of Israel. This is more of an expression of a proper national interest. God says, no, it's evil all the same. In 2 Chronicles 11.15, we read this. We read that the calf worship that Jeroboam instituted was a worship to demons. Here, then he appointed for himself priests for the high places for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. It was demonic. So here you have a person who is attempting to be unlike his father, attempting to somehow reform himself, and at the same time what all it's done is it's left him just another species of the same kind of person carrying out the same kind of sins. The worst part was, now that he had kind of developed in a way that would appeal to the national finer instincts of the people of the northern tribe, he puts it in finer clothes and with a manner that seems more acceptable to his generation, and he can conceal it from everyone else, but he can't conceal it from God, and just like father, so like son. They follow after their father. Here's the second thing I want you to point out here. And what we see in this passage is God knows this sin. God sees it. God knows all our sins. Follow the progression here from the text. And here's what you read in the very first verses here, beginning in verse 2. It says of Jehoram, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. God sees the sins we commit. Whatever sins a person commits in the open or if it's concealed, it doesn't matter which, it is seen and known by God. There's a song that we were taught when we were growing up, kind of a little scary song, but we sang it in a gentle, sweet little way. It was, you cannot hide from God. His eye is fixed on you. Whatever you do, wherever you go, you cannot hide from God can't hide your sin from God either. Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God sees it all. It doesn't matter whether you think you can even conceal it from yourself. God sees it all. The next thing that you need to understand is that God not only sees it, but as we look at it in the text, God registers it. You know, the Bible is full of these different moments and when God gives us the account of some sin that an individual committed and oftentimes the account is given of a sin that an individual commits that nobody knows about, nobody saw. And so you have an individual who disobeys and you have David who commits adultery with Bathsheba and nobody knows about it but God sees it and God knows it and it's recorded for us and we learn about it. And There are multiple examples of this throughout the scripture. 
What you need to recognize is when God gives you in a record of one man's sin and showing us that God saw it, it's just giving you one peek into God's book, into God's ledger, into God's accounts. Because God sees it all. And God doesn't just see it all and then turn his head and forget it. God records it. It becomes registered and written down. And he knows everything you've done and he knows every sin you've committed and he's written it all down. And the Bible says that the final judgment that all people will face will be a judgment which they stand before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who saw all of their sins and all the things they had done in their lives that were dishonoring to him and wrote it all down and put it in his book. Revelation 20.12 says this. John writes, I saw the dead. He had a vision of this last day of God's judgment. I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. God has recorded it all down, every part of it. God sees all. God records it all. That's what we see from this, that God saw the sin of Jehoram and God wrote it down. And not only this, Jehoram was making some attempt at reformation and God takes note at our incomplete attempts to reform ourselves as well. Jehoram thought, well, I'll try to clean up the act a little bit. I'll put aside, I'll put aside the worship or this image that my father had raised. There was a commandment, by the way, that God had given to the kings. If there were idols that had been raised up that were false, they were to take those idols and they were to ground them to dust and destroy them. Jehoram doesn't grind it to dust. He doesn't destroy it. He makes an attempt at reformation, but his attempt at reformation is to simply set it aside. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism. To learn about our work around the world, go to traincpe.org. It's also a ministry of our Mission Fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work locally, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.